Welcome to All Your Favorite Music is Probably, where we take a themed dive into popular songs and unearthed connections like a shaft of gold when all around is dark. I'm your host, Mark Montgomery French, music culture writer, film composer, and hot sauce enthusiast. Today's theme is All Your Favorite Music is Probably Black, and my guest today is Joffrey Green, guitarist of the band Silent Pictures. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. For those of you who have not heard his band Silent Pictures, I'll wait. Just go and come back. Yeah. You know, silentpictures.bandcamp.com. Hit, hit it up. There you go. So... Describe your band for me, for people who have not heard what your band sounds like. Our band is kind of like a mixture of like 80s and 90s UK band influences. So I would say it's a mix of shoegaze, new wave, Britpop. You know, you've got some Ride, you've got some New Order, you've got some Echo and the Bunnymen, you've got some Jesus and Mary Chain. Uh, you gotta, you've got all of everything kind of like in that stratosphere just kind of like mixed together and that's what we do it's kind of like it's like a mixture of our influences and the bands that we love and just kind of like put together and we're just trying to put our own spin on it and do what we do on it so so i have a question great description of your band so when you walk up being a black guy and do a sound check do the people who work for the club give you any weird side eye because well they don't expect too many black dudes doing shoegaze music. You know, it's funny. I haven't really run into anything like that, to be honest with you, because or if I have noticed it, I mean, like sometimes I do. But a lot of times I'm just like, you know what? I'm just here to do a job. I'm here to do me. I'm here to you know play this music the best way that I can. Um, and yeah, I don't look like a, a skinny, pasty white dude. So what? Far like, from it. Like that's yeah, that's that's your problem. Like you gotta you gotta get over that. Yeah, we walk into the room and we know what's up, and we're gonna play you this music, and we're gonna give it to you. And most people are just like, you guys are amazing. Like there's once you like once you do that, that takes away that issue and that apprehensiveness. That is wonderful because I want to talk about a bunch of other music where historically that has not been as warm as <laughs> the the love you've, you've been getting and one of those is goth oh yes <laughs> and for those of you who were wondering who's a goth band famously none of the goth bands want to admit being goth but we're talking about Bauhaus and Susie and the Banshees and yes, the Cure we're talking absolutely. about bands from England in the late 70s yeah and late 70s into early 80s you know definitely kind of like post-punk that obviously coming out of punk rock and, you know, going into this, like, new uncharted territory. Also, Joy Division gets thrown yep. that handle a lot. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of funny because, to me, I just think of Joy Division as this really great band. Right. You know. Right. I don't think they would say they were goth, but they are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, they are. They have the audience. They have the, you know. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so, when I think of goth, I think of, like, romantic in a sense and i think of horror in a sense and i think of dark humor in a sense absolutely and when people generally point back to well what act before then was doing all of that a lot of the time people think well alice cooper because he had the snakes and he mm -hmm. had props on stage but if you go back farther uh my belief is that it's screaming jay hawkins absolutely being the goth father yeah he's he's the inventor of goth or 
the inventor of, you know, horror rock or shock rock or that whole type of like, you have to think how crazy it was in the late fifties to have a black man coming out of a coffin and do it. I'll put a spell on you. <laughs> like, ah, like <laughs> he must've scared white people from coast to coast. Well, yeah. I mean, I think you have the combination of him and little Richard, which I'm just like, how in the hell did they do what they did? And they just like, they blew so many doors open. And honestly, like both of those things were just like, you know, punk AF. Like right. seriously. Right. Just, I, I think actually they were so, they probably were lucky America was interested in aliens coming down. So these two guys didn't look quite as bizarre as they might have been in the 40s. Well, I think that it was probably as close as you could get to an actual <laughs> alien coming on Earth. You know. And with that, I'm going to play Screamin' Jay Hawkins, I Put a Spell on You. Put a spell on you. Because you're mine. Stop the things you do. was the great Screamin' Jay Hawkins with I Put a Spell on You. I was lucky enough to see him live when oh, he... When really? He, yeah, he was playing... Oh, um, man. He was playing Snap. the now the now non-existent Slims in San Francisco. R.I.P. And uh, R.I.P. Slims. Th- this was in the 90s when he had become famous again through Jim Jarmusch's film uh, Mystery mm-hmm. Train. And he sold it out. And he had... He must have been 70 at this point. Full of energy. 
had the skull on the cane that yeah. smoked a cigarette. He had all the uh, thing. No <laughs> coffin this time. But voice was so strong. He was operatically trained, and you can tell. Yeah. Absolutely. And he just threw down for seemingly 17 hours. I don't Dang. think it was that long. What year was that? This was, oh my gosh, um, 94 maybe? 94? I'm going to guess because after a while, all the times mushed together yeah. into one. <laughs> yeah, after a while. I, I told my wife, I think next week, we're recording this in July mm-hmm. of 2021. Bismarck, he just passed yesterday. Yeah. Man, rest in power. Yeah, totally. And... Uh, I remember I, before I found out, I went to my wife and I said, I think it's the 30th anniversary of Lollapalooza next week. Oh, that sounds right. That's, and yeah. of course, her head was spinning around like, what? We just right. we, we just saw that. So I'm having a hard time separating decades yeah. <laughs> right now for concerts. I mean, it's I mean, it's definitely gotten to that point. And, you know, obviously, like this last year didn't help matters any. But you know, we'll all have like memories of shows and things. And it's just like, man, that was just a couple years ago. And then you think back like, no, that was 20 years ago. <laughs> that was 30 years ago. That band broke up and reformed. Yeah. yeah it's been. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I want to talk about Scott, particularly 70s revival Scott mm-hmm. in England. For those of you who were wondering about the first wave of Scott, that was Jamaica. Yeah. The second wave was there. Offspring moved to England uh, to help rebuild England after the war. Absolutely. And you had the white people and black people getting together, and Ska mm-hmm. came back. And then Ska got to America and really only got popular with No Doubt. Yeah. And then, you know, also, too, it was that, like, late 90s, well, mid to late 90s uh, third wave. Which, I mean, like, I'll be real with you. I got sucked into it as a kid. It's It's not really something that I revisit now mm-hmm. or like have any like connection with that i think there's just like some stuff you just like grow out of but the first and second waves i still have respect for sure because that was coming out of a legit place but i mean definitely like the specials obviously like english beat like, like that's what's exciting about all that music is like these different things adding to this thing and becoming this thing that was something else and something different than what had come before right that's wonderful dissertation of that and funny one of the biggest second wave acts in america of ska was madness yes one of the few bands with no black people in it whatsoever <laughs> Madness is the band that my mom loves. She heard Aww. she heard our house. Yeah. My mom saw Madness. She she went with me to see the great day in the green with the police and oh, Madness yeah. was one of the opening bands and she man, saw I them. I was too young for the days on the green, oh, man. Oh my gosh. Uh. Madness turned out to be very much inspired by one particular Jamaican artist and that was a guy named Prince Buster. Mm-hmm. In fact, their first song, The Prince, was an homage to Prince Buster. Right. Their name, Madness, came from a song called Madness by Prince Buster. Yeah. So when I think about the popularity of One Step Beyond in America among third wave ska people, that's a cover from Prince Buster. And even the line about, don't watch that, watch this. this yeah. That was from another song by Prince it's Buster, Buster called yeah. Scorcher. <laughs> so the whitest, most popular <laughs> ska band. Hey, you! Yes. Don't put that. What's this? Is a super, super black influenced, literally Prince Buster stand group. And I want to play the Prince Buster cover that made them famous in America. Madness is one step beyond. Hey, you don't watch that. Watch this. This is the heavy, heavy monster sound. 
the Nazis sound around. So if you're coming off the street and you're beginning to feel the heat, well, listen, Buster, you better start to move your feet to the rockinest, rock steady beat of madness. One step beyond. And that was One Step Beyond on, on, by, by Madness. Also the name of a, I think a now non-existent new wave club in South Bay. <laughs> Madness was one of the first like mainstream ska bands that I heard. Because mm. my story is like, I grew up in church. So for a, a long time, all I could listen to was Christian bands. Got it. A lot of my childhood was going to the Christian bookstore with my mom and being like, mom, oh. I want to buy this CD. My mom's like, looks at it. Okay. Or I don't know, you know, but as I got older and got into like high school, you know, that was kind of when you had that whole tooth and nail thing coming out and Mm -hmm. those bands. And that was also the whole third wave of ska. So, you know, of, of course I was, being like a 17 year old kid and listening to like super tones and five iron frenzy and all that. But through that, that's how I heard Madness. And I was like, oh, what's this? And then that's when I started hearing about, you know, just like in like any type of music or genre where you get into like a band that's newer and then they're like, well, hey, we like we listen to this. So and there goes months of time down the rabbit hole. of <laughs> yeah. What? That connected to this? Yeah, exactly. Was the perfect segue to my next genre where black people seem to not be there, but they helped, which was K-pop. K-pop. So dig this. Korea, South Korea, much like 
England after the war. Yeah. They need a lot of time to rebuild the country. If anybody saw MASH, it's that point after MASH ends when the Korean War is over. The generation post-war helped rebuild South Korea, and they really weren't thinking about the concept of a teenager. And teenagers come afterwards, kind of like Mm -hmm. uh, World War II. All of a sudden, there's teenagers, and they wanted to have, do their own thing, man, and wear their own clothes and make their own music. Right. And there wasn't much of a music scene then. It was more about patriotic songs and traditional South Korean songs. But there was a subculture. And there was this guy named Sao Taji, and he came from a metal band. And he, in 91, wanted to do his own thing. And he wanted to make make music that had pop lyrics and, and had rap, and he wanted to wear... Uh, a different kind of clothing and do breakdancing. And right. so he created a song. He created a band called Sautaji and Boys, and they have a song called I Know. And, and this was the first K-pop band? This is the first K-pop band, first K-pop song. I have to be honest with you. I'm not fully familiar with this genre. Oh, but you will be by the end of this podcast. <laughs> okay, I'm looking forward to it. But the funny thing is, if you look at the video and it's on YouTube, and you see the breakdancing, you hear the beats, and you go from the singing courses to the rapping. You're like, wait, that's just New Jack Swing. Absolutely. But they didn't have New Jack Swing in, in uh, South Korea You're because right. there was no MTV in South Korea. So somehow he got a copy, essentially, of some New Jack Swing stuff yeah. and brought to one of the few countries that never heard it. But like he, Yeah, like he got on some like Teddy Riley-ish. Pretty much. brought that to South Korea. Korea, basically. Right. So for all of you who are like, oh, K-pop is only South Korea. Let me back up. Teddy Riley has spent the last decade making K-pop for real. They actually just invited him over. And he's been in South Korea making I K-pop mean, songs. If you're gonna, you know, if you're gonna do it, like go to the source, man. That's that's how I see it. So I want to play for you a song that is so similar to the original K-pop Zero song, you will be almost offended. And I'm gonna play for you. Poison by Bell Biv DeVoe. Yeah, Spider-Man and Freezing full effect. Uh-huh. You ready, Ron? I'm ready. You ready, dude? I'm ready, Slick, are you? Oh, yeah. Take it down. Girl, I must warn you. I sense something strange in my mind. Yo. Situation is Let's cure it cause we're running out of time mm-hmm. I'm ready. It's all so beautiful Relationships they seem from the start mm-hmm. It's all so Thing in the world She's 
fellow like to vote getting paid late So better lay low, scheming on hot money and the whole show The low pro ho should be cut like an afro So what you saying, huh? She's winning you, but I know she's a loser How did you know me and a crew used to do her? by Belle Biv DeVoe. Never I'm trust sure a big button to smile. Sao Taji managed to take New Jack Swing and create K-pop from it. He is now considered to be a legend of culture in South Korea by basically biting Black American culture. His follow-up single called Come Back Home, check this out on the interwebs, he basically bites... G-Funk. It's like a combination of The Chronic and Cypress Hill. Yeah, very and, much. And he has dreadlocks. Mm-hmm. And again, no one in South Korea saw any of this. Yeah. And that is the basis for the K-pop that we have now. And also, too, I was going to say, because we were, we, were, we were watching that clip, you know, that synth line, that kind of like, when you hear like the... That, it, you hear it and instantly it's... It's West Coast gangster rap. It's G Funk. But that just came from Funky Worm by Ohio Players. That's right. Like you go back and hear that song and it's like this is where it, this is where it came from. And you know, it, it that's just something that had an influence on hip hop and popular culture for years. Yeah, shout out to uh, Judy Morrison who wrote Funky Worm and came up with that crazy high pitch whine. Yeah, that uh, yeah, Judy Morrison might be the funkiest man of that time because he left Ohio Players to join Funkadelic, which is, <laughs> I mean, like that's going from like that's going from like equal like heavy ships of funk. Yeah, you know that's like. I mean, like, say what you will. I don't know if that's a promotion or what, but that's like, just, <laughs> but two, just like heavyweight 
right. funk giants. It's almost like saying uh, Lucasfilm by itself versus Lucasfilm as part of Disney. Like, what? It just. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's like saying, like, oh, okay, he left. You know, it's like, like he left the Beatles and went to the Stones, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Something that, like that. Yeah. That, so he's Billy Preston. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, he was Billy Preston, essentially. I want to go back to your bit about punk in England. And punk in 76, that was one of the formative years for punk. And Sex Pistols were one of the big bands that were popular. Right. And Absolutely. One, and one of their contemporaries, actually before even The Clash got together, was X-Ray Specs. Yes. And there's a documentary coming out this year that I'm dying to see about the lead singer, uh, Polystyrene, yeah. who was a black woman. Mm-hmm. And she influenced nearly every other punk group in its wake because she was one of the first ones. Absolutely. And, you know, just like somebody like that that had such an influence on punk rock, you know, and then what eventually became, you know, Riot Girl mm-hmm. and all of that. It's just like that's that's definitely somebody that unfortunately didn't get the props and the due that she should have received. Right. She, how dare she be black and a woman? Yeah. And I expect mean, to get her respect. I mean, like in so many spots, like being black and being a woman, you're just like just your existence is challenging and like offensive to some people, you know, honestly, just because of who you are. A lot of times it's because you're the strongest person in the room and a lot of people can't handle that. A lot of like, you know, insecure white dudes can't handle that. I mean, like I think about somebody like uh, Stacey Abrams. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's somebody that's like, you know, if I was living like if like if I was still living in Georgia because I lived in Atlanta for several years, mm-hmm. you know I was like it was be no question to me that somebody like her should be governor, or, or like somebody like that because I've had in my life such strong influence by strong black women like my mom, my aunts, um, and I'm just like yeah, put Big Mama in charge, she'll handle it, you know. <laughs> By the way, I, I will tell you my secret barista order. Whenever I just get regular coffee, they always ask, uh, how would you like it? And I always say, like, a little too loud. Strong and black like my mom. And mm-hmm. just watch their face, like, freak out. <laughs> that's, a, that's a tip for all of you, all you black people. I'm telling you, man. Put, like, put big mama in charge. So, uh, I totally agree. Polystyrene and X-Ray Specs had, unfortunately, a very short lifespan, but I do want to play one of their songs for you called Identity. Uh, X-Ray Specs was very much about not only feminism, but anti-consumerism. Yeah. And really challenged, what are you being sold? How are you being sold? How are you interpreting it? How are you determining your life based upon what you buy? And that was not a common thing to be said in 76. Absolutely. Not from the music industry. No, no, because the music industry was like, buy, 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 and sell, sell, sell. <laughs> Can we repackage this record with a, with a sticker and a tacky badge? That's really what they were talking mm-hmm. about. So I'm going to play for you Identity by X-Ray Specs. I also want to say, too, that when you guys listen to this song, like I, I listened to it on the way over here, and it still sounds relevant and timely, and it doesn't sound dated. And you'll be able to like you know hear, you know what it influenced, and you know, yeah, it still holds up. Basically, that's what I'm saying. Perfect. Here we go. <laughs>
And that was Identity by X-Ray Specs. And as we're talking about genres where you don't normally see black people, I want to talk about the big elephant in the room, and the room is America, country music. Country music. Okay. <laughs> so the reason why I mentioned country is because of one album specifically, and that was by Ray Charles. Oh, and yeah. And it was Modern Sounds and Country and Western Music. So to set the stage, it's 1962. There are civil rights movements raging around America. Absolutely, yeah. He had come off from being the most influential R&B soul artist of his time. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest, one of the biggest artists, period, and, at that time. And he managed to get creative control in his contract. Mm-hmm. So he goes to his label and says, I want to cut a record of country and Western standards. And they were just like, please don't. Like, no, Ray, you're no. going to kill your career. Like all the all the typical things that, you know, label execs with no imagination or creativity will tell these people. Absolutely. So not realizing he's a genius. Yeah, he's Ray Charles. He's Ray Charles. <laughs> uh, so he Let the, the man do what he wants. Right. So he, he gets the best musicians, the best singers, the best arrangers, the best horn players, and releases an album that not only went to number one, but couple of the singles went to number one and number two, and it was played on R&B stations and country stations. And the songs on that record are considered like some of his most iconic songs. Gee, why don't I play one right now? I think I will. We're going to hear You Don't Know Me by Ray Charles. And also, too, like that song, like that song breaks my heart. Like, honestly, like the level of emotion where he's singing and the chorus, just like what makes that song and that whole album work so well is that like, you know, Ray took these songs and like exposed them for the great songs that they were. But like some people just might think, oh, it's this country or like blah, blah, blah. But he like opened them up and just showed like the raw emotion of it. Like I literally hear this song like every time and like, I just feel it. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to re-break your heart right now. Yeah. Chance that you might love me too 
when you say goodbye I watch you walk away Inside the lucky guy Oh, to never, never know The one who loves you so Well, you don't know me Chance that you might love me too. Love me too. Oh, you give your hand to me, and then you say goodbye. I watch you walk away beside the lucky guy. Oh, you never, never know the one who loved you so well. And that was You Don't Know Me by Ray Charles from 1962. Willie Nelson said that Ray Charles' album did more for country music than any one artist has ever done. Yeah. And I want to say, I mean, I don't know for sure, but I would think that when he did that Starlight record, Mm -hmm. that was Willie's version of the same thing. Or just kind of like doing a nod to that or taking like, you know, it's making its country and standards and putting it together and putting it in this wide lens. By the way, do you know who produced that album? Oh, I know who, but I forgot. Booker T. Jones. That's right. Of Booker T. and the MGs. That's right. Again, all your favorite music is probably it's black. Probably all black. five million of you who bought that Willie Nelson Stardust album, Black Man produced that black album. Black Man produced Check that. that out. And again, black people were in country before Ray Charles. Country music goes back to 1900. There were black people and white people in bands together in 1900, 1910. I love that that Donny Hathaway quote where he's talking about country music Mm -hmm. and how much he loves it. But he was saying that it was basically like the white side of blues. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know, you get right down to it. I mean, at one point, the same bands were putting the same 78s out with different names because race records were the thing. Right. And they didn't want to sully their non-race record. It, it's, guys, it's, it's, it's redlining. Yeah. <laughs> it's up on totally. wax. Totally. It's the yeah. same thing. Speaking of redlining on wax, I want to talk about EDM. This might be another one where I might have to sit out on, but like, I, like let me try to... Let me try to hang. Uh, no problem. So, <laughs> uh, if you look at the wide variety of electronic dance music and all the famous names, you will notice a hue that tends to be similar. Uh, it's a lot of European white dudes, sometimes with helmets, playing yes. for a bunch of white people. Mm-hmm. And that is what it looks like now. But that's not what it looked like when it first started. So, right. if you go back through all the permeations of of EDM music and going backwards, a lot of it really started in the early 80s. And one 
of the prominent groups. Right now, they're known as the Belleville Three. It's Juan Atkins, Derek May, and Kevin Saunderson. And these guys invented techno. So mm-hmm. forget Moby. He came later. Yeah. These guys were making it up. And they were basically Kraftwerk fans. But I was going to say, yeah, this was yeah. like post-Kraftwerk. Uh, Kraftwerk, right. So yeah. They, yeah. So it's black dudes who like Kraftwerk and Yellow Magic Orchestra. By the way, if you don't know Yellow Magic Orchestra, run to your streamer for music and come back after yeah. this. Yeah. Get on some Yellow Magic Orchestra. And they also like- You'll uh, thank us. You will. And you, they like funk. And they sort of put it together and created the first electro, post-electro music called techno. Mm-hmm. And one of the bands that Juan Atkins formed was called Cybotron, yes. which was bizarrely signed out here to Fantasy Records, home of Cringe Claude Revival. How about that? Mm-hmm. Cal Jader. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So they released a song that was a minor hit in the clubs called Clear. And mm-hmm. I want to play this for you. This is early early techno, almost pre-techno, 1983. Also, too, you know, I was also listening to this on the way over, and again, when you hear it, you'll be like, I recognize this. I I, I know this, because this, you know, this got sampled. I, I, I want to say it got sampled in... It got sampled in a Missy song. Sure did. Yeah, it was uh, like Lose Control. That's exactly what it was. So, 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 you, so you may already know this. This is clear from Cybotron. Hit it! Ready, one...
And that was Clear by Cybotron featuring Juan Atkins, one of the co-creators of techno music, along with Derek May and Kevin Saunderson. So the question is, well, gee, if techno and EDM started with black dudes, what happened? I will tell you what happened. It all goes back to war. As we've talked about the Korean War, mm-hmm. all of a sudden there's teenagers that want their own music. They're going to make it some way, somehow, and they barred it maybe not knowing it, from American black artists. If you remember, there was a little thing called... Or if they brought it from American white artists, they brought it from American <laughs> yes, black artists. Yes, yes. So, <laughs> so there was a thing called uh, the Berlin Wall that lasted post-World War II till the 80s. I want to say 88, 89. Right. David Hasselhoff was there. Yeah, 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 he was. So you, With his, like, piano scarf. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Speaking of Hasselhoff, yes. you know he just covered uh, The Passenger by Iggy. No. Yes. And it's surprisingly not bad. That's that's amazing. Yeah. I, I do know he covered something lately with Ministry. I forget what song it was. Yeah, he just, like he did this record a couple years ago and like it's got some like decent covers on it and I think actually uh on on one of the tracks uh uh, James Williamson from the Stooges wow. is on it. Okay, James. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, yeah, like that happened, I want to say like 2018, like, like a couple years ago. And then now with this uh, Iggy cover, it's like, oh, all right, Hasselhoff. I didn't know. Like, oh, all right. All right. <laughs> okay, all right. I'll, I'll check that out. Yeah. So the wall comes down, you have a bunch of teenagers and they want to dance and they want to dance to whatever is hip. And so they actually ask the Belleville Three to come over and play parties and DJ and play their music. And eventually, you know, as they learned about these synthesizers and drum machines, made their own music. Mm-hmm. After a while, they weren't invited back over because they had their own homegrown German and European DJs and techno makers and EDM. So they kind of got pushed out over time. That being said, the Europeans do respect these three people much more than Americans do in America. I mean, that's the case with, you know... Josephine Baker. Yeah. now. Anybody. Nina Simone. (laughs) You know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But that is one reason why EDM looks and feels uh, incredibly white. Yeah. I actually want to talk about how all these things we talked about come together in one song. And again, we're talking about... Music that seems white, that has blackness to the core. And there's one song that I'm sure you all know that will explain it better than anything else. And that's Genius of Love by Tom Tom Club. I mean, oh, it's, oh, it slaps so now, hard. It's a great song. It I'm not dissing, so hard. I'm not dissing the song. It's wonderful. Adrian Ballou, my favorite guitar players, co-wrote the song yeah. with the rhythm section of Talking Heads. Tina Weymouth. Chris France, I, I I will for, for I will forever have so much respect for those two. Yes. So I read Chris Franz's 
autobiography. I've been meaning to read that. It's lovely, full of information. Yeah. One of the things he mentioned is that he was trying to write a song based on More Bounce to the Ounce by Zap. As you do. As you do. <laughs> because, like, again... You know, if you want to, you know, if you want to get it, go after the best. Yes. So they are in Jamaica. They're at Compass Point Studios. They're working with reggae producer, dub legend, Stephen Stanley. Right. Stephen Stanley also gets a co-write on the song. So we're already got a black dude co-writing a song. Right there. Based on an interpolation of a Zap song. Yeah. He also brings in to play keyboards a guy named Tyrone Downey. Tyrone Downey was the keyboardist for Bob Marley and the Whalers. So that did it. So, yeah. Do, 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 do. Yeah. Did it. That's him. Half the lyrics. Keep going. Um, yeah. So half the lyrics of the song were basically just like a playlist of the dopest black musicians you've ever heard, right? James Brown, Bootsy Kai. Uh, Sly and Robbie, yeah, Bohannon. For those of you of you who don't know Bohannon, go check him out too. Bohannon was a Motown staff guy. Uh, he was like a session guy. Did some producing. Did some writing. Uh, he actually was. I think he was in like Stevie's band in the '60s. You know, in like in, in like Stevie's early like Motown era. So, could we say that Stevie's drum? Attack could possibly be lifted or somewhat influenced by Bohannon. I would say so. Uh, that's one thing about like you know, if you if you really get into like Stevie's drum sound, like one thing that sticks out is his hi hats. Mm. His hi hats, like they had this like slushiness to them. Mm, mm -hmm. uh, that just like when you when you notice it, and then when you go back and hear again, superstition, high ground, all that. You hear it in there. Okay. So. I will check for slushiness. Uh, the slushiness is basically like how your foot of the pedal is is like hitting it. If you have your foot all the way down, the hi-hats are going to be closed and they're going to have a more tighter sound. But if you, you know, kind of ease up and like open the hi-hats up a little bit, it'll have that little like it'll, it'll sound slushier basically. Oh, cool. Okay. And that's part of his whole pocket. Is this lushness got it? Yeah. So you have this list of black wonder kind musicians as half the lyrics. Half is she's in prison and does cocaine. Yeah, and then, yeah. <laughs> I mean, what's fine sure. on on brand. Yeah, yeah. right, right. Um, and then the list of musicians who would never get to play on alternative radio that this song eventually got, mm -hmm. and except for Bob Marley. Yeah, none of these people would ever get played for what they normally do in the white radio in the, areas. In the white alternative rock or college rock, exactly as it was called back back then. in the day. So I want to play for you. I want you to think about how black this song is, as you probably did not know. "Genius of Love" by Tom Tom Club.
And that was Genius of Love by Tom Tom Club. Again, a song we all love. I mean, oh, dude, it's 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 like the sound of summer. It's just like one of those. Cla- I mean, and it's like a straight up R&B song. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's one of those things that like we were talking earlier during the break about how like it, like these roots kind of came out of it was a side project of Talking Heads. So it came out of this like, you know, college rock or alternative rock or art rock. But now, and especially, you know, since Post, you know, it got sampled by Mariah Carey, it's just seen as an R&B song. It just seems, it's like a slap. It's like, yeah, you do play it, like, next to More Bounce to the Ounce or, like, Atomic Dog. Right. (laughs) And funny, now that I hear it, I think about the remix with Old Dirty Bastard. Yeah. You know, who had his own level and the song just, you know, it's it's, it's officially a hip-hop song. Right, exactly. You know, Grandmaster Flash sampled it back early on, which shows how long ago this song was where Grandmaster Flash was going, let me use this and make a 12-inch. Absolutely. So it's critical. Man, I remember one night, like this was years ago, uh, my friend Ron and I, we ended up at uh, Edinburgh Castle and it was just like DD night. Like we were having fun, but like the night was getting ready to like wrap up. We, you know, we had to drive back home to San Jose or whatever. And Genius of Love came on and it was like, let's walk out to this. I was like, it's not going to get any better than this. Let's, let's just call it, man. Like we had a good night, you know, we had a couple beers, like we're good. Like it's not going to get any better than this. So. You know, I want to leave the listeners with the fact that you too should plan your walkout song from any bar, any party. If it hits the peak and someone's playing your jam, just back out. Yeah, that is, just, yeah. It's you know, it's like that Seinfeld episode. It's like, all right, you've been a great crowd. I'm like, no. But like George walks out of the, you know, we walks out of the business peak. All right, I'm done. You know, cool, great, and all right, we're done. Thank you so much for being on my show. Mark, thank you so much. This was an absolute pleasure. This is something that I literally, these these type of conversations, I literally do like all the time just out in the world. So like, thank you for giving me the opportunity to like do it on a mic and where someone can actually like listen to it and enjoy it and not be bored. <laughs> so. <laughs> You're so welcome. And everybody listening, please come back next week when I'll, I will unveil another fun theme. Oh, oh, and I have dates. My new music course called The Completely Abridged History of Barrier Music starts online July 27th, which is soon. Yes, so, get on this, people. Thank you. So you can learn more from my Instagram and my Twitter. My handle on both is Mr. French. That's M-R-F-R, the numeral three, N-C-H, because someone got to Mr. French with the E before I did. So I am now M-R-F-R, three, N-C-H, Original music courtesy of Spiky Blimp. Thanks, and I'll see you next time. Bye. Underwritten by Rhythmics Cultural Works, which brings people of all ages together to experience and explore music, dance, visual art, and educational opportunities. Events and courses available online and in person. Learn more at rhythmics.org. That's R-H-Y-T-H-M-I-X dot org.